What's up, Novocastrians? Welcome to another killer episode of No Local, where Henderson Advocacy uncovers the truth behind the businesses that you know and love. From Merriweather to Warners Bay and everywhere in between, we are your local area experts. Connecting with the faces behind the brands, it is our aim to bring together the local business community and find out what it is about Newcastle that makes them thrive. And today's guest is an incredible one. So this man sitting beside us today has been a serial entrepreneur in his life so far, having been a part of at least 20 businesses in his, uh, in his career so far. Uh, the main one being PRD Newcastle, where he specializes in prestige sales. Just one recently this year sold for 7.25 million. Just a sneaky Newcastle record, just to put that on there. <laughs> And it was all put together by this man sitting beside us. So with a headcount of 60 plus people in PRD, both in Australia and internationally, we'd like to welcome Mark Kentwell. Thank you. Welcome to the show, mate. Yes, bring it on. No local. Yes or no. So, mate, let's uh, let's start right at the, at the start. How... Uh, Let's start. Have you grown up in Newcastle or did you grow up elsewhere? So I was born in a place called Holbrook, which is like southern New South Wales, inland, sort of near the Victoria border, sort of not far from Albury, Wodonga, named after General Holbrook, I think, or, you know, they, they brought in a submarine there about Holbrook, so I don't know how that all worked, but yeah, it's remote. It's near Yass. Kind of, it's, my mm. dad did truck stops, so we moved around a lot with that. He set up a truck stop there, it's a trucking route, it's like 800 population. And then we were Western, uh, so Hills District of Sydney, and then uh, came up to Lake Macquarie when I was like two, and bounced around a whole bunch of homes there. I lived in 19 homes before I moved out and bought my own place at 19. Um, wow. so, One a year? Yeah, lots of moves. One a year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Should have started a removalist business, mate. <laughs> yeah, on the side, offset. So, mate, I, I do hear that um, you started your career in mining. Yeah, I suppose my after-school career, like I, my my first job that wasn't on the you know government's books was uh, renovating motorbikes, dirt bikes mostly, and then ended up at Macca's, got good training there, then went into uh, the mining industry because I was sort of studying business economics legal on one side, 300 maths, sort of really going down that so actually, sorry, business economics legal was like the whole business commerce end, and then the other side was like 300 maths, engineering science. And as I came up to the end of year, like 11, I'm like, I just want to get out of the workforce, I want to get out and build some businesses, I want to get out and start investing. I was, I was young to make that decision, but I also knew that three or four or five years in uni to become a salaried something, um, like I could just not see the ROI in that. So. I went for some apprenticeships. I got, I went for six and got five or six. Like, and the tests were really geared towards my attributes. So I got to choose kind of which one that I went further with in the application to go and get medicals, and that was the mining. And I was double the pay of everyone else. I got two trades. I got electrical fitted mechanic, and I got um, also like the the fitted machinist kind of um, plant fitter, plant mechanic. And then from there, I went on and did engineering diplomas in both of those. But realistically, uh, I, was, I was way more geared towards entrepreneurial ventures. So I was always dabbling in something. Whilst I was in the mines, I was in bands, um, I was in hip hop groups, and, and I, I got exposed to the, 
to the sort of band management sort of event, event booking world. And I just found so much more joy in the networking and the growth and the, and the booking of shows and the escalation that comes from that. It's not all time-based. Yeah, right. So was that, were you a part of a business early on, you know, in that space? Yeah, like I suppose, like, yeah, I used, back then it was like, yeah, we had a, we had a business set up that was so, so basic. Mm. And it was just so that we could book shows and invoice, really. And, and then I started booking the shows and playing at the shows. So we were kind of like making ourselves the, the, the last before the headline act. I, I came up with a few concepts that worked really well with the local venues. And we started getting like Lansdowne Hotel in Sydney and Danny Broadway there. And, you know, I think Perisher or one of the um, Threadbow or something like that. Like the festivals like Strike Back, Groovy the Moon. So like, we, we did have good progression, we were putting out a good product and we had a great show, but the thing I liked about it was like, we weren't selling time, you know, in the minds it was really clear, like there was a real genre there, and there's a few guys that kind of had side hustles, but most of the time it's like, you know, you can work back, you can, do, you can make over time, if you want to get ahead, you just got to work more time. And even to get a job escalation, someone had to die or retire really, like it was last to come, first to leave on the whole, Unionist kind of mentality. There's no real escalation where you could go quicker up the curve. You could go and do more tickets and then be qualified for another job, but you still had to leave your permanent job, go and become a contractor, come back and sort of shoehorn your way in. And most people just went for the security, and then your, your bonus was up and down based on the international coal price. Mm. So it, it's sort of like I, I just didn't like putting my future career or my you know my asset growth in the hands of the government or coal trade or uh, offsetting my spare time with working another hour um, but for no real fulfillment extra in that extra hour. I wasn't learning more, I wasn't doing more, I was just tending to that job for another hour. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you obviously moved around 19 times and then you know sort of perched yourself up when you bought your first property which i'm assuming was in newcastle yeah like macquarie yeah what was it about newcastle where you thought i can see myself living here because you've obviously been to 19 different locations and i'm sure yeah that- yeah like we, we i really enjoyed it over near perth um but i was young like and it was just a good time of life and there was a lot of exploration i think what i liked was the meeting new people the finding a way in a new area the fresh clean start so new schools new places um but, you know, my, my mother was in a job that you could move around all different parts of the country and my, my dad was in a job that kind of required you to move around and they sort of started at the bottom of their industries and made their way up. Lake Macquarie made a lot of sense to me. Like, I'd grown up around there for primary school, moved up towards mainland area um, for high school and came back to Lake Macquarie area, like, with my parents doing, really, when I had left um, high school to go and start working. And then to buy, it was in my precinct, it was close to the mines. But at that stage, I was kind of like, let's start building a property portfolio, share portfolio, have a car that I'm working on at any given time, a dirt bike, a drum kit. It was, it was, a, it was a different headspace. I was in my late teens that I, I saw sort of Spears Point as a potential growth area because like there had been a smelter there and, uh, and Pazminto Smelter was a big employer at the time. And there was a bit of lead in the soil. So it was like a bit on the nose for the purchasing community. And I saw these, you know, I, I bought a villa, two bedroom villa with, with you know, a garage and car space in one with a bit of yard on it. I paid like 112 grand or something for it. <laughs> it was sort of like around 2000 after we'd been through a recession, they dropped the interest rates. I hustled hard to get the loan. I remember like I was like actually sort of negotiating 
I had to use a broker because my bank didn't want to deal with me even though that I like saved well and all that. They were just like, nah, kid, like, you know, it's not gonna happen. So used a broker, that worked. Got the house, got another house, got some shares, tiles and houses, you know, sort of like, and I started seeing that you can kind of create your own way. So I liked what was going on Lake Macquarie, but I was really drawn to the inner city in Newcastle at that time. Just been a bit younger, wanted to get a bit around the, the dining and the, the, the nightlife as well. Mm. And is that what sort of led you into the real estate career from buying your own property, being in the mines and seeing that you could make money in real estate and, and that's where a passion grew from? Yeah, I really liked it. I wasn't a disciplined saver by any means. I always found it reasonably easy to earn money. Like when I was in working at McDonald's, for example, I, I managed to get you know promoted to production supervisor or whatever, which was slightly better hourly rate, better shifts, longer shifts at times when it wasn't going to get in the way of other things. Um, I, I did the side hustle with the, with the dirt bikes, I made good upside on those and, and, and got to ride better bikes. Uh, and, and when I got into the housing side, I mean there's tailwinds in the market, but you still have to pick the right place. I like the idea as a compulsory savings plan, you know, like I, I was burning money on cars and crap, you know, like I, I had this car, it was like an 85 long bed rodeo that I'd swapped for another car. It was one of two cars I got for another one. And like, I put this like turbo, like Japanese engine in it. It was like 45 grand worth of like work and I sold it for like 10 and a half grand in real estate. <laughs> so cars are not the growth asset, but I did like it. The houses are just burning away in the background. You can add some value to them and if you, you know, pick and choose your spots. But I found a natural tilt towards the people and negotiation, the strategic side, um, when I was in the band and event space because I was just, Realizing email marketing, SMS marketing, meeting people, proposing ideas, collaboration, a lot of that stuff around, like, we, I've noticed it's a very Novocastrian thing to do. It's sort of like, look, I, I've got this idea I think I might be able to help you out with, like, let me know what you think of it, bounce it off, yeah, that sounds great. And, and they're like, well, let's collaborate and do that. And, and that sort of helped me get ahead in the band sort of space. And I thought, well, you know, there's not actually really any money in that at all. Like, even if you're the best band in Australia, in hip hop especially, because it's all about the struggle in Australia. Like, if you're doing well and you're wealthy in hip-hop in Australia, you're shunned. In America, it's like, oh, look at Jay-Z, that's amazing. In Australia, it's like, man, you got money, you'll get the hell out of here, you know? Like, so it's like, I, I could see it could work, but I needed something that had a higher upside. I saw a few people doing mortgage broker stuff like that, and I thought, oh, it just looks like there's a lot of admin and paper pushing, and again, the control of the banks. Whereas the real estate thing, I could sort of see there was a strategic sort of you know, growth sort of create opportunity side, like that's an analytical, pick a good property, buy the right time, sell the right time, add value. But there was this huge people side where there was influence required. And, and I, I did have some natural lean towards selling, but I, I could also see that everything I poured into the growth and development of myself in that was gonna have an ROI. And when you get into business, you realize, man, it's like three dimensional. It's, 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 it's four-dimensional, you know? It's not just like linear, that's for sure. Yeah, and I wanted to touch on something. Back about uh, a couple of minutes ago, we were talking about how you continued to focus on upskilling when you were working on an hourly rate because you knew the value in, or you were always kind of looking for that extra bit of value that you could get for your time. Mm. So I wanted to take it back and, you know, we can come back to, to Peter, um, PRD and what you've built here, um, but what was it, you know, in your kind of, early teens and through your early 20s that that made you um, you know not think like the other 99% of the world and and think about separating your time from actually being able to earn um, earn an income 
Yeah, um, that's a great question because, you know, I, I deliberately try and put some time into people around me that are coming through that mid to late teen journey and then again the early 20s to mid 20s journey because like there's so much uh, opportunity to gap the market then like mm. you, you think about it it's like you know if a rocket takes off for the moon and it's and it's one degree out like by the time it gets there it's like gone past it and it's into another planet right so if that can be like aligned with an awesome goal versus aligned with the rest of the pack the time to, to set the course is early Mm. My mate said this about training. He went to the gym really early, like 14, 15 years of age. And I was like, you know, skateboarding and, you know, drinking booze or whatever you were doing, like, you know, and you're navigating parties and, and learning all about, you know, um, people that you're into and hanging out with. And, and he got into the gym early and he just really carried a lot of muscle through his whole adult life. And he said, well, I built the blocks early. And I remember a few of these little lessons about, like, just getting habits in early. I don't think I'm naturally disciplined. I'm, I think I'm naturally geared towards ROI. You know, so like, I, I like the idea of having some caps and collars, or I call it bumper bowling, where like, there's things that I have to do, that's, the, that's, that's hard over there, that's hard over there, and then I've got a lot of freedom in, within between. And I found that with like, if I've got two, three hours, four hours a week, I'm gonna go and do an extracurricular study, mm. at some point in my life, that's gonna have a return on investment, even if it's not that profession. I'm gonna get better at learning, or I'm gonna meet someone in that room, or whatever. But if, if I can shoehorn that into my week and just keep doing it while I've got the space, putting load on myself, I was avoiding going to uni and doing all that study and all that other stuff that I would have had to do. I might just want to keep loading it in because I still felt like I had heaps of time. I was working four days on, three days off in the mines, and even those hours when you're there, like there's a lot of transit times, a lot of meeting times, a lot of eating times. You know, like, and sort of like, I, I wasn't feeling like I was overly expended. It was awkward on the shifts, but like, I was always looking like, what can I get in these gaps so that I had freedom. Like on the, on the weekends, I used to party so hard when I was in the mines because I'd leave work like Friday morning and it just, I did not think again about work until like 20 minutes before you could go on Monday <laughs> night. Yeah, so it was just like, not only just the 80s, it was just one of those jobs where the mine kept going whether you were there or not. My, my job depended on me caring a lot when I was there passing on good notes to the next person, but it was like McDonald's, it was just a system running and you were just part of it when you were there. Yeah, absolutely. So let's fast forward a bit to the, I guess the very origins of um, PRD in Newcastle. And <coughs> what was it about um, you know, setting up the agency in Newcastle that was so appealing to you? That coffee could be coming out from any direction in my room like that. What was sip coffee? Like, you just got to pour it in your mouth. Um, so, uh, Newcastle, like why Newcastle is a suburb or why real estate? Well, a bit of both. So, you know, we're now sitting in, in Telford Street. We're looking out at the harbour and it's a great view. Um, what was it about, I guess, real estate in Newcastle that was so appealing to you? Yeah, so I did a, a course with my um, partner at the time and she was working the front desk of her place. She wanted to become an agent, and that was just another course that I put in. Like literally, I went there almost by chance. My dad had recently gone from like um, food uh, distribution that he started in the, um, the service station industry with, got into developing roadside servos, which were as much about the food as they were about the fuel, got picked up by a food company, 
set that up, got it to a certain stage, and then he found himself like he put himself out of the job because he'd set it up and then handed it over. He's like, what do I do next? I've got probably 10 to 20 years of my career left. He was in his probably early 50s or whatever. And he's like, commercial real estate, because it kind of tied in with some other stuff he'd done in the past. So <clears throat> he got into commercial, I was watching him, and I was watching my partner who was on the front desk wanting to be coming. I'm like, I'll come and do the course. So I went to TAFE, nine week course, um, and like I was so wired for it. I was just in the room, just asking questions, like really engaging with the teacher, and she's going, look, Mark, like, are you already in real estate? I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm in mines. And she's like, you, you could really do this. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I'm on like 135 grand, I'm working four days, like why would I leave? It's pretty you know? like She's like, yeah, but there's something going on here. Like you're into this. There's, you must have been fed some info. Or you really like it, but you know you should have a look at it. And I, I've got to thank her, Robin. Um, she was working at Carter for the time as an agent, doing this on the side. You know that person tipped me off to get into real estate, and now you know I'm owner of a top one percent firm, and you know in the same realm as an agent, and we've got these entrepreneurial ventures on the side. I'm like, wow, like these little micro movements. Mm. Got us into it. So yeah, I wanted to go on agency in Newcastle. I went in with dad. He was an agent somewhere else and that guy was getting bought out by a bigger brand, didn't want to go to the bigger brand. He was just going to do a little independent thing or a franchise thing. And we looked at PID, it had projects as a backbone, research as a backbone, development as a backbone, and they'd recently acquired nationwide realty not long prior, so it was like resi projects commercial. It looked good, it looked good, but there was none of them in Newcastle, no one knew who the hell it was. It took us like five years to get people to say the PRD in the right order, but they'll say PDR for ages. <laughs> people thought we were like supplying sausages or something, like some weird shit going on. So, <clears throat> you know, fast forwarding, because like I know you probably, you know, want to know, know a little bit more about, you know, the PRD story, but like we could have made it work in almost any brand. The PRD was good because it was a, there wasn't any others around, so we had a clean slate. I messed around a lot with trying to get the brand to resonate with the right market. I wanted to have a multi-sector business. We were pretty strong in commercial early on. Uh, Colliers uh, acquired the rights to the PRD franchise head office because they wanted their projects. Uh, and Colliers really rose in projects for that. They didn't rebrand us here in Newcastle as Colliers. They, they kept the Colliers and the PRD separate. And we're still independently owned and operated, but we sort of backed off on commercial a little bit around then and started pushing really hard on the residential and residential projects. Projects weren't really getting off the ground in 05 to 08. So I just went and did a lot of study up north on projects. Again, that sort of secondment kind of thing, running projects, working directly with the owner of project marketing firms, working directly with developers, running sales agents, running sales programs, training, and being a younger principal, like I got good resonance with the agents. They weren't threatened by me, but they could see there was something there that I had. And the older, wiser heads, were also like telling me where to guide my energy and they could see that I could have those kind of conversations with my sort of engineering analytical brain and my influencer sort of people business brain. So I came back, residential really started taking off about probably 08 or 09. That's when we really got bigger. We had one, two, three office moves. I opened Lake Macquarie, property management started in 09, 10. Uh, we, we secured some really big agents that had some cultural changes that came with it. So our business kind of like went it grew, but it also changed a bit in the cultural side. Um, and then, you know, like we really just started finding our way. And now I've seen the depth and the cultural side is so much more important. And the systemology, I've really applied all of that engineering sort of fault finding matrix to the system side of the business now. We're now built for scale. Like we could run two, 300 agents off our platform mm. easily. I can run multiple satellites now. I've got a satellite model for the, for the agents coming through. 
Um, PRD has been good to us and you know we're 15 years in with them now and you know we're, we're heading into another period and, and they're, they're really adopting a modern approach they're helping us help them like you know we're going to be opening more offices and we're going to spread down through Central Coast there's other areas that we're looking at as well other daisy chains towards Sydney uh, there's opportunity to go outside of those areas as well it's really where the right candidates are because our back end is set up our business engine is set up. So I'm having a lot of fun in that department right now, like really playing on the business improvement stuff to make life at PRD amazing for all our team members. Because I've gone from just helping people sell houses, and I'll say do us, it's a privilege to do that, but now to like, you know, finding the right talent, turning the right talent into an office owner, turning those office owners into entrepreneurs or or investors or you know helping them recruit and give them leadership traits and working through all the cultural stuff and you know I'm learning new own linguistic programming and stuff like that at the moment. These are all things that now I can I can keep passing on. I want to do it while I'm really vibrant and energetic about it. I see a lot of agents they sort of get a bit, you know, you can tell they're cranky. They're cranky with their job. Like they're just like they they haven't gone and done anything else and they're like they're still doing it. The money's good but I saw people like that in the minds as well. So I just want to keep evolving in that regard. And real estate allows you to do that. Over the last 15 years, PRD has been in operation in Newcastle under your leadership. The marketplace would have changed dramatically. I mean, I've seen it change in the last three to four years, let alone 15. What do you think the biggest changes are, I guess, in the real estate sector and then in Newcastle as a whole that has changed over the last four to 15 years? So you mean like as in property market or the way that real estate agents perform? Well, I mean, Newcastle as a whole, like Newcastle now is, you know, getting regular sales in excess of five million dollars yeah, which is yeah. probably you know part of the top 10 percent of newcastle uh, of new south wales in yeah. terms of property values and with those property values brings a demographic of people who also live in the suburb where yeah. newcastle 15 to 20 years ago was known as a coal city and it was you know built on steel and yeah yeah no that's a great question i just want to clarify so you're referring to property market yeah the change has been immense like this is the thing that I, I'd speak to national media are reasonable, um, like on periodic basis, like AFR is good, um, Australians publish some stuff, SMAs publish some stuff, and then you've got your like, um, you know, your property observers and, and those sort of um, sites, property observer and, and investment um, mags and stuff like that. We are a multi-sector economy. Now, and when I say multi-sector, I don't just mean like that the, the, the town is making money. I mean that we are employing multiple sectors that are successful. So we've got seven sectors of employment that represent more than 7% of wages. So and what it means is over 80% of our wages are split between seven different diverse sectors. And it's not just coal. Coal is not the number one anymore. Like health is number one. Retail and, uh, and, and, and that side of things is like sitting only just behind it. Even though you might think retail could be dead during COVID, like we don't have the same sort of retail aspect where there's like a, a central area that people don't want to go to. Yeah, we've got two big shopping malls, but you know, the retail is, is so much more than that in our area. We've got a white collar, we've got RAF, we've got education, we've got obviously still coal. There's still a little bit of steel there in the background. There's this, you know, this trades and construction. So with all of these areas, there's, there's jobs. And when there's jobs, there's money. And when, and, and when those jobs are sustainable and they're not dependent on international coal price or, or, or some boom in some sector or some tourism influx or an Aussie dollar value, then those jobs create affluence or they create good spending and confidence. You throw in a great climate, great geography, and like just a naturally um, you know, laid back people that there support each other. Biggest saltwater lake in the Southern Hemisphere, Lake Macquarie, so good for so many things. There's a picturesque surrounding to it. There's a working harbour. We can do cargo there as well now. 
there's tourism, like there's there's money flowing into the CBD, fixed infrastructure, New South Wales being probably the wealthiest state in Australia as far as the, the government side of things going, how much they make of stamp duties and stuff like that. They're making Newcastle the second city of New South Wales. So they want a satellite city that's not just part of um, Sydney, like Wollongong and Newcastle used to be. They want Newcastle to be a city, like an Austin, Texas kind of situation, like Houston, Austin, Dallas, like we, we want another one. Mm-hmm. And we've got a room around. So it's bloody exciting, but it's it's taken a long time to convince. And I think it's fair that the capital cities have taken a while to be convinced. Like, you know, it was about 2014 when we started seeing like this old school mentality of don't improve, don't change Newcastle. And, and, and I don't have an issue with blue collar people because they came from that background. I don't have an issue with labor people that probably voted that way because their parents did or, you know, they just, you know, they feel that protects them. Liberal, labor, greens, it doesn't bother me. The political stuff is irrelevant. It's the attitude has changed. There was a whole tribe of people that were stopping Newcastle going ahead. Don't cut the rail off. People are using that rail to go to Dungog or whatever. We've got a light rail now and get on, on and off. I use it like every couple of days. I'm hardly ever using a motor vehicle in the CBD now. I'm walking a lot, I'm scootering, I'm using that light rail and there's hundreds of people using it when I'm on there. And that's even during COVID with the safe seating and stuff. Like, we can walk down to our harbour, it's beautiful what you see around here. There's, when you spend a couple hundred million bucks on a light rail and then you put a university in the CBD, like, that public spending brings private spending. And it used to, people used to think it was $1 for $1, like $1 public, $1 private. They've done studies on this in Europe and the US and all parts around the world. Like, you know, all the continents basically, it's like seven, eight, nine, ten dollars that comes in from the private sector. And those private sector developers, like, they're not just developers like greedy developers putting up apartments, you know, which was the, the, the fear. These people are coming in and employing people. They're employing the kids of the people that had that problem. You know, and, and there's jobs and there's creation and there's coaching and there's this stuff going on. There's vibrance, right? You got that, you got the lifestyle. It's, it's just a really exciting time. So I remember about, I said this in 2016 when the AFR covered it big time. I said we're two years into the best 10 years that Newcastle has ever had since its, its inception in you know, like colonization or whatever you want to call it, right? Because mm. coal and steel is what we were convicts. Uh, and I don't know what happened before that with the traditional landowners, and you know, no doubt it was a, it was a wonderful place then. But in recent history of, you know, of civilization. So, so if it's two years back then, I think that's true, because you look, that was 2016. You know, move forward another four years. We're six years into the best decade transformation, change, exciting. Mm. Imagine four more years from now. So we're at the end of what I've stated to be the best decade as far as transformation, growth and change. Man, you gotta walk through the Hunter Street there, it was the malls down East End Village, it's like the rocks, so it's beautiful. You know, boutique fashion, retail, precincts, people hanging out, going to Woolworths Metro and the purveyors of fine food, hanging out at apartments, you got movies, you got theaters, you got art, you got street art, you got performances, you got communities. Kids playing, you know, in the parks and, and then people visiting and light rail extension and jobs and like international airport and more health jobs and more satellite towns coming on out of the city. Lake Macquarie's booming lifestyle precinct. And you think, man, like how can it not? It's just got that much momentum now. And it's like, look, it's, oh, you, you're really lucky, like you're in Newcastle. Uh, yeah, you must be lucky, you're lucky the market's going up or whatever. <laughs> yeah, lucky, like hardly work, lucky to get. Like, don't forget, we're slogging hard for 15 years, and that's how we are now. We're right here and we're ready to benefit, and we're bringing in others as well. 
That's so true. And I mean, coming back to what you said earlier about having such a broad, diverse economic structure in Newcastle, right? We've got so many thriving sectors that at this point in time, you know, in the middle of this pandemic that's gri gra grappling so many different parts of the nation in a different way, I think Newcastle has been incredibly resilient in mm -hmm. that respect. And I, I wanted to bring the attention, obviously, to what the light rail has done for the inner city and the CBD. Because you only have to walk up the um, walk up the path of the light rail and to count, you know, ten or fifteen cranes in the sky these days. Mm. So, like, what has you know, if you if you were to look at the skyline today and, and see how much activity is actually happening in Newcastle, what how would you pitch that against your experience over the last fifteen years? Like, are we really seeing an, an exponential <coughs> growth at the moment? Oh yeah, the, 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 it's geometric. Mm. Like, that's the best way I can describe it. Now, geometric can still be able to multiply that doesn't go up in the typical exponential curve. It can be going up at a, a way that's still, it's off, it's going, but it's definitely not linear. Like, I, the 15 years prior, I'll tell you what, to 2005, like, it was mostly, like, going down. You know, like, David Jones, when he, David Jones left the mall in, like, 08 or whatever, like, People were sad. It was like the dog had just died. <laughs> like you could go up and down the mall, and it's like proper doo -doo -doo -doo, tumbleweed going down. Like there's a couple of like kids in the Adidas looking a bit sus. There was like drunk guy just yelling at no one. There was no <laughs> shot. Bring back David Jones. Bring back DJs. You know, like one of them probably was an old DJ. He used to have jobs. <laughs> all the all the all the cronies had got him out of town. The, 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 the clubs had closed because they didn't want nighttime noise because there were like 20 mm. people in town that had retired and wanted a quiet city. And then there was no nighttime economy for like adult entertainment. And I don't mean adult entertainment like red light. I mean like going out to dinner with sensible mm. people. When you bring those small bars into town stuff, you've got a safety. Mm. You know, you've got the mm. affluent people coming in and now Uber has changed things so much. We were a violent city for a long time. I put that down to cabs. Mm. Cabs were disgusting on service, man. No wonder Uber took them. Like, you could not get home. You go out for an anniversary, spend 700 bucks on a beautiful meal and champagne and all this sort of stuff, and you couldn't get home. And, and you know, your wife's there with like heels uh, or, your, or, your, or whatever, and, and, and it's like, what do I do? What's my options here? You can't get a hire car, can't get a cab, the drive right past you. And then nightclubs and stuff where people are being like, you know, drinking pretty hard, they're out in front there and they're pushing in a cab line. Of course, there's going to be fights. So, like, all that's changed. The, the nighttime's changed, the daytime's changed, the buildings, the landscape, the architecture, the art, the attitudes. There's a new way of coming through. Like, it's our time, definitely. And I think you're seeing now not only just Newcastle money in Newcastle, you're seeing external money coming in. You know, there's multiple, multiple, multiple people moving up from Sydney now because they can earn the same income in the health department. They can buy a house twice as good, you know, twice as close to the beach. Mm. Um, and I think that's only going to keep increasing. As, as Sydney gets more unaffordable for the average, you know, average person earning the average income, yeah. Newcastle's becoming a place where you can live a much better lifestyle earning the same amount of money and still have the facilities that, you, that, that Sydney has. That's a really good point about like better lifestyle for the same amount of money because like there are parts of Sydney you can definitely afford to live in but like you look at what you've got to go through to live there and commute to where you were and now we don't have to commute to offices every day. I mean like that, you think about that how like mundane and ridiculous that drudgery was. Like it's almost like when we thought the earth was flat. Like that's how silly it seems to me that people have to turn up at the same time today to every day to work. Like driving in the same traffic, drinking the same shitty latte, cranky in the lift, 
you know, like not, you know, headphones in, whatever, get up to the desk, pretend to smile at everyone, sit down, deal with all your problems, get at the same time in the afternoon, oh, time to go, back in the car, traffic beeping, annoying, you know, like, Hamster wheel, just the hamster wheel. hamster wheel, wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it seems so ridiculous now. And then like, we were kind of geared up to deal with the COVID thing because a lot of our virtual reality tools and like my mobile work platforms I'd set up for agents and stuff like that. But like, you know, I, I've taken the opportunity to have quite a few little changes, you know, like, I, I always said to myself, I, I said to myself about five years into my career when I started really shaping what I want life to look like, I'm like, I want to be wearing a t-shirt to work. Now, not because I want to be a slob, I want to be free flowing and feel creative. Now I'm talking about like a fitted quality shirt that's like neat and not with coffee and food all over it. With flamingos all over it. Yeah, flamingos. <laughs> like I'm wearing a shirt, this is, a, this is the most dressed up shirt that I'll wear all this week. Now I've got a nice jacket over there, a bit hot to be wearing it right now. And so I wear like Lululemon every day at work now, like almost every day, or, 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 or Apollo or whatever. And I'm like, why can't, why couldn't we do that already? I go to people's houses now, I look at them, they were always in t-shirts when I'm at their house. Why are they more comfortable with me being in a collar? Mm. Like, why, why am I sweating up in this suit in the middle of summer? Like, and, I, and I look at my staff as well. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll chip them if they're wearing a daggy old stretch thing and look like that they've been, you know, using it as a paint smock. But like, you know, if they're, if they're wearing stuff that suits their body and their, and their type and, and our brand and, and, they're, and they're fresh and they're more creative and they're not gonna get sweaty and, and gross by the end of the day and have creases and their shirt tuck, untucked anyway, let's do it. Let's start our day at different times. Let's have our staff working static shifts because we know people that are surgeons need to talk early in the morning on tradies. We know tradies knock off in the other, they don't need to call at six and seven o'clock at night. We know there's other people who get home at that time of night. They want to talk at eight and nine, they want to submit contact forms. We're going to get back to them on different means. Like this is the time we can remodel our whole life and realize that work and life are actually the same thing. Mm. Like we're on the planet to really evolve. It evolves, start, it's rooted in survival, but then like it's getting better all the time. And if you make the life better as a result of doing something that society's doing is necessary, like working and, 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 and escalating that way, well, let's make that feel better. And I think Newcastle's got a real metaphor going on at the moment for that, because we are transforming, we're transitioning. We seem to be welcoming with open arms. All these people coming from other areas, even international when they can get the chance to come over here, we're going to see a lot of people coming to Australia. I think a lot of them are going to be looking at Newcastle real close. Absolutely. Wanted to bring it back to how you've kind of developed PRD, the you know, the workforce at PRD to be comfortable with the idea of working flexibly and you know dressing for your day, that kind of thing. And and in a past life, when I worked for one of the big four accounting firms, same thing. They were really pushing this new age style of of working. You know, as long as the work gets done and it, it gets done to a, to a level of, of quality that's acceptable, then it, it doesn't really matter what time of day you, you rock up or, or what time of day you finish. And I think that that's like, it was, as an employee, it was very, very like, I guess, rewarding to know that um, your employer had a lot of trust in you and, and in your ability to deliver. Mm. So like, mate, hats off to you that um, the, the type of culture that, um, that you're developing here. And I mean, I'd have to, it would be remiss of me not to point out that, uh, you know, you're a standout agent in that uh, you love wearing a t-shirt and a coat and that uh, a little bit like Jack over here in his uh, pink flamingo. <laughs> Although standing out, mate, the purple cow. I, 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 yeah, where's my spirit animal? I'm in a spirit animal. I'm in a spirit animal. I don't know, Kenny K comes out a little bit there though. That's the, uh, that's He's the spirit animal. animal. He's the spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> my mate, I think, um, I think it's been very informative 
I, I, I love your take on the Newcastle marketplace and Newcastle as a whole. And I think um, your 10-year projection from, what was it, 2016 is um, pretty spot on. Yeah, 2014 is when I suppose it started. 2016 is when the articles happened. When we made a $4.7 million sale in Bar Beach and hit national news, it's like, what, Newcastle 4.7? Like, the amount of sales that have happened above that since. It's just, we've got a pub, made an apartment sale recently at 5.45. You know, like, and that's that's one apartment, an existing building. There's an off-plan one at 6 mil, another off-plan at 4.85 we've done. And, like, you know, it's not just the pricing side of it. It's 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 the awareness that there must be something here and people starting to realise, hang on, it's not crazy. It's not just some sentimentality thing about Newcastle. And when I say Newcastle, by the way, I'm talking Newcastle and Lake Macquarie. It's just, it's just an easy way to refer it. But Lake Macquarie has a real DNA of its own, but we are definitely linked. Like, we're happy cousins. It's not like <laughs> we're siblings, you know, and, and it's positive. And that, that ties into the greater hunter as well. So, yeah, look, look forward to talking more about Newcastle in the future. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on here, guys. Now you know, hey, now you know. There's a Patrick Balker, actually. (laughs) 